Welcome to the Peace at Home podcast. I'm your co-host Sinan. And I'm Jamie. And our music is by our friend Jordan. And it's just me and Jamie today. There's no guest. I couldn't be fucked to sort out a guest, basically. Yeah. If you, if you want the long and short explanation for it. It's like herding fucking cats. Yeah, there's no, there's no fucking way to get anyone on left Twitter to do anything, really, is there? Nah. Like, we don't have a mechanism by which we can compel someone. We should have told them the podcast was about beef. They'd fucking turn up there. Oh, yeah, exactly. Half of them would turn up because they watch my stream and think it's a Guga thing. Half of them would turn up because they think we're cussing out their enemies on the, yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine if we pivoted effortlessly to just being like a left Twitter version of like drama alert? <laughs> could you imagine how fucking... I don't know, I feel like you could make a lot of money just doing like a left beef like YouTube yeah. channel. I feel like there's, a, there's something in that, actually. Oh, yeah. It's probably, it's probably more fun than fucking like editing all the practice cast I've had to do lately. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't one of, do that. One of, our, one of our editors is on a stress-related holiday, and the other one's, like, taking part in a folk horror in the Black Forest. What? What are, Rob, what are you... Do- oh, Rob, Rob's, right. Rob's gone on a, a two-week hike. Um, you better not have. You better be back by next week, because he's, got, he's coming on my stream. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, the, like, second night, second night he was out there, a uh, torrential downpour, like, made his phone break. So he's definitely, he's definitely in a horror movie. All right, great. Well, we'll, hopefully... just to, we'll just have to hope he's the final girl, and then you can have him yeah. on your stream next week. Yeah, well, yeah, hopefully he's the, he's the least attractive character, and therefore will survive. <laughs> let's, let's, let's hope for the best, everyone. Um, <laughs> what, is, what is everyone doing? Has everyone just decided this is the best time of year to just fuck off? And do whatever you want. It's what the summer's for. Uh Rob. Rob just goes on holiday. If you if you take your eyes off him for like more than twenty minutes, he's on holiday. He's got. Can't, it's, can't it's be stopped. He makes too much money being a eurocrat. You know. Yeah. That's That's the fucking thing. But it is. It's not like my job where you don't get any fucking pay. Although to be fair, they just gave me a completely unannounced pay rise. So, all right, cool. That's not bad. But can it compete with Rob's straight banana money? No, it can't, because my pay rise was well below... Well, actually, to be fair, I've had two pay rises within, like, six months, which is pretty insane. But they've both yeah. been, like, minuscule little pay rises. <laughs> so, yeah. like, one was 2%, and the other one was 4% on top of the 2% already. So, yeah. I'm, two, I'm two, still coming out behind. Two pay rises in half a year, and it just happens to coincide with Trussonomics. Yeah. Well, to be fair, my company also gave us like a discretionary additional payment for the cost of living because nice. they were like, "Fuck, man!" Like, we, we basically my employer has decided to suddenly become a living wage employer because Liz Trust is such an abject disaster that they felt a twang <laughs> of corporate responsibility and have just become a living wage. But not like the bullshit fake living wage the Tories have the real living wage. They've yeah. just become a real living wage employer, which is fucking insane to me. I, like, I was say I was saying earlier. Liz Truss is certainly the most relatable Prime Minister of my lifetime, because she's just like a startled goblin that's in over her head. She's living my stress nightmares yeah. every day. It's, it's, I'm sorry this is not about Turkey or the Democrat <laughs> Party or the 1950 to 1954 government, but it's insane how much she makes me feel at ease with myself, you yeah. know? I feel oh, so yeah. much more confident and able and charismatic and, comp- you know, just great. I feel great, you know? She is absolutely bombed my uh imposter syndrome from the air oh absolutely liz trust is simultaneously a person who makes me feel no imposter syndrome and also really worried that in fact sometimes you are just out of your depth 
Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, it kind of depends on what I'm dealing with on the day, I guess. But I'm just like, well, oh, generally speaking, you know, you know, in those polls where they're like, do you approve or disapprove of the prime minister? I'm like, approve. She's making me feel great. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fucking, do you approve, disapprove Keir Starmer? Disapprove. Terrible. Fucking loser. Liz Truss makes me feel great. Like, yeah. not because I think she, she, I would vote for her or anything like that. She just makes me feel good. <laughs> Imagine if their powers combined and you had, like, all the fucking competence of Liz Truss with Starmer's photographer. I mean, to be fair, we do have the competence of Liz Truss with Starmer's <laughs> photographer. Starmer is also a fucking useless prat. It's just he that he right. hasn't, he's, he's just not been given the wheel yet. That's I guarantee true. you, the thing is, what he's going to do is, I should probably save this for Praxis Cast recording tomorrow. But what he's going to basically do is all of the same shite Tony Blair wanted to do, but without any of the, like, remotely redeeming shit like Sure Start or Minimum Wage or anything like that. Yeah. Without the, uh, without the economic circumstances that allowed Tony Blair to do all of that shit. Yeah, exactly. Good luck with that. We're going to see Blair... We're going to see zero growth Blairism, everyone. <laughs> Speaking of zero growth, let's talk about the Democrat Party in Turkey for a bit. Um, they... Actually, to be fair, they did achieve quite a bit more than zero growth, which is perhaps impressive, but also bear in mind they were starting from a very low bar. It's kind of like when I first got my job from being unemployed. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, fuck yeah, I've got so much money. And then suddenly I realized, oh, wait, I have to, like, pay money to live. <laughs> so suddenly it's not so much fucking money, um, which is kind of an apt metaphor for what's happened here. I, I had that. I had that experience my uh, my second year of uh, third year of university I should say the first two years I was I was at like a union Newcastle mm-hmm. and I already had a bank account I didn't get like a fancy student account because I already had one from like working uh, jobs in college and Barclays just wouldn't give me the fucking like stink off their shit everyone else everyone else I knew had like a two thousand pound overdraft and all this stuff and Barclays were like no fuck you and then um, my third year I went down to Nottingham. I said my third year, my third first year, I went down to Nottingham, and I which, dipped. Which bar- I gotta ask, which uni was it? Oh, Trent, obviously. Oh, okay. Damn, you went to the other one. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> I think it's um, pretty obvious. I went which one I went to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I, I, I um, I, I like fucked Barclays off. I had like they, had, I had like a two hundred pound overdraft, and they wouldn't extend it so that I could buy petrol to get to Nottingham. So I just like fucking binned it off, and then uh, I walked into the. Walked into the Midlands that was in the like student union building mm. at at, the, at Nottingham Trent, and I just went like, "Oh, here's me letter saying I've got a student loan," and they were just like, "Have sacks of money," and like, I just went out and ran up like four grand's worth of credit card debt in six months or something. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Nottingham. Yeah, it, it, it's still like that. I knew someone. In my freshest week, I'm sorry we haven't started the podcast episode still, <laughs> we're eight minutes in, but I knew someone who in freshers week not only spent their entire student loan, which like, yeah, fair enough, I can see how you might do that in freshers week, but also spent all the way through their fucking overdraft, <sighs> just completely obliterated all of the money. And by the way, Nottingham's like a cheap city, especially in like 2012, which was my first year of uni, it was a cheap city to get like wankered in. It, yeah. was, it, this, it did not cost you... It's not like London. It's still not like London. It's getting more expensive, but it's still like not that bad if you know where to go. Yeah, I and was like, there I, in like I, 1998, so... Oh, I was four when that was I was on, I so. was riding the crest of Blairism. Yeah! <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> getting, getting, all, getting all that money before they, uh, before they brought in tuition fees. 
Ah, yeah, lucky you. Um, yeah. I've got a, well, I, I haven't even looked at my fucking student loan debt in so long. I'm just like, I don't give a shit. I'm never paying it. Yeah. Certainly not, paying it if it? We don't, certainly not paying it if we don't talk about Turkey at some point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to have to talk about the Democrat Party at some point because all of the piece at home money goes to my student loan. See, Ben and Jamie, they don't they don't got student loan debt like me. <laughs> so <laughs> we have to bail me out for my bad decisions, such as studying physics at the University of Nottingham. A, a decision you'd think would mean I wouldn't become a podcaster. Yeah. And yet, here we are, yeah. It's a, it's, a jo- it's a decision I made specifically so I wouldn't have to do this and rely on my charm. <laughs> and so... Um, oh, well, welcome to the 21st century. Yeah, there it is. God, I, God, I hate it. I hate, I hate it so much. But let's go back to the 20th century. I got that right, yeah. didn't I? Yes, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Nailed um, it. Now that I'm on the ball today, the notes are fucking dog shit because I'm like, I'm just going to go through a bunch of the weirdest shit I think the Democrat Party did in government. Because here's the thing. I know the Democrat Party were in government from 1950 to 1960. Like, I know that. That's like something that you just sort of know through osmosis at this point. But I'm like, what the fuck did they actually do? Like, genuinely, what did they do? Because... (laughs) Whenever I read about this government that goes from 1950 to 1960, it's like, oh, it was the rise of sort of authoritarianism in Turkey, and, you know, they they loosened some of the religious restrictions, and they also tried to pursue free market economics, and I'm like, a lot of this does make sense to me. Like, in my head, that makes sense. I'm like, yeah, sure, I believe that this is what this group of people would do. And then, obviously, there's the big event in the middle of the decade, which will get its entire own episode that I'm trying to sort of build a narrative up to. Yeah, it's yeah, it's gonna get its own episode because it's fucked basically. You know, you know how like things are very normal and calm in Turkey at the best of times. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> you know, normal peninsula will strike in in the biggest possible way, and not in not in like a in a work labor strike either. It's just a yeah, yeah. not the good not, kind of strike. Not the good kind of strike. We remember, we'll recall that the Democrat Party won a hilarious landslide. Yeah. Like, possibly one of the funniest landslides any party has ever won. Because it turns out, it's, it's a bit like they were correcting the mistake of the rigged election. Where they were like, yeah, actually, we should probably vote for the guys who lost last time. But they just, they just fucking came in and slapped the Republican, party across, Republican People's Party across the face. And the thing is, I'm trying to find what they were up to in this period. You know, like, what do you do after you win a huge landslide? And the number one thing they do is, you know, they get Jalal Bayar to be president. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and they get Adnan Mandarez to be prime minister. Also fine. And this is kind of the first time in Turkey where the pri- we have sort of the original intended system of actual distribution of power between the officers. So you have Jalal Bayar, who's president, who's just kind of the guy who rubber stamps the law. You know, he's like, he just, he's like the queen. You know, well, she's dead now, but was dead for yeah. a while, to be fair. <laughs> it's like Charles, except Charles is, Charles is much more mouthy about politics than Jalal Bayer ever was. But Jalal Bayer's job now is to basically be the guy who checks the laws and makes sure they're legal. And if he's not sure they're legal, he says to the parliament, can you make sure it's legal, please? And then if Makes they sense. do it again and he's not sure, he sends it to the courts. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically the extent of power the Turkish president has and had at this point. Not anymore. Now it's like the president can sue you into oblivion if you call him Gollum or whatever. 
but <laughs> it was a weird alteration to and very specific alteration to the constitution but nonetheless there it is in black and white so what can you do he did a very legitimate referendum that we'll talk about uh, definitely it's not as hilariously rigged as the 1945 and 43 election or whatever but it was uh, it was not great and so I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find the origin of this myth, because there's kind of a myth in Turkish politics, which is that parties whose electoral coalition is perceived to be soft on po- Islamism, political Islam, whatever, Islam generally, they're like, oh, inevitably it's going to be authoritarianism always. And I'm like, but the entire right of center of Turkish politics is probably somewhat soft on it. Like... Yeah softer than the Republican People's Party. Republican People's Party is fucking soft on it now. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just observing that that is the case. And I'm trying to figure out why, why does it happen? Why does it happen and where does it come from? And we talked about the two guys who were in charge last time. You know, Jalal Bayar, the man who was the member of the special organization, a very yeah. cool and normal sounding organization. Yeah. You know, like, you know, was he? Is is it is it something to do with him, or is it something to do with the incredibly smooth-faced sort of a very wealthy landowner being the prime minister? I'm like, I'm not sure that explains it. I'm not entirely convinced that does explain it. But we're gonna just kind of walk through and see what happens. So one of the first acts they do, and so like you'd think, like when you win an election, right? And what would you think you would do in the first three months if you win an election, Jamie? What do you reckon you would do in the UK uh... or wherever? Oh, in the, if I if I want, what on a landslide? Yeah, like the, the Democrat Party landslide. Uh, probably abolish LBC. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's, okay, so that just kind of undermines the point I was trying to make. <laughs> Jamie's just coming in and like, no, you were going to make a really important point about uh, you know, how what you can do. You could do so much. Yeah, with a but have you have you considered fuck James O'Brien? I have. He's blocked me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I still love that clip, even though it's it's been rendered sort of obsolete now. That clip of him saying any other leader would be twenty points ahead yeah. is one of the funniest fucking clips I've ever seen of anyone. Oh, that's we'll, so we'll much mileage out of that. Yeah. We'll be bringing it back. I, I, I'm, I can assure you of this. Like Keir Starmer can fuck this. I can oh, assure I mean, everyone of that. Like, if if we go on, if we go into a general election with him versus fucking Hunt. The papers oh will God. absolutely cream themselves over the Tories again. They'll 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 love it because they'll have two really boring technocrats to pick from, but they'll obviously pick the one who's slightly more of a psychopath. Yeah. Which means they could pick Keir Starmer, to be fair. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think Keir Starmer is enough fun at dinner parties. No, I think he I think he tells Do you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of a guy who tells the same story over and over again at every party you see him at. And it's yeah. just like, fuck's sake, man, don't you do anything? And it's like, it's Keir Starmer, of course he does it. You hear the same story, you hear the same story like 20 times from the guy, and then like on the 21st time, he's embellished it in some ludicrous fashion. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure none of my real life friends will be listening to this and be putting a comment on this. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we've, all, we've all been there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, if anything, I've made fu- that fucking ham dickhead more relatable. <laughs> This is the this is one of the weirdest like first major significant cultural acts because it still exists today, right? Yeah. This is a thing that still exists today. 
So, Jamie, you might not know a lot about Islam in particular, but you might have heard of something called the Adhan, or the call to prayer. Yeah. Or in Turkish, Ezan. So, what they did during the Republican People's Party was they translated the Ezan, and I'm not making this up, so usually it's done in Arabic, Makes and it's sense, supposed yeah. to be sung nicely and all this shit. And I remember one time I was in the village where my grandparents come from, and they let one of the fucking kids do the ezan, and the kid did it completely out of tune and fucking horribly. And I assumed the muezzin, the guy who does the the alhan, went up there and just hit the kid mid mid ezan and pulled him down. It's like fucking <laughs> shut the fuck up, you butchered it. Well, even my dad was like, "Damn, I've never heard an ezan butchered that badly before." <laughs> you know, like, well, rip that kid, I guess. But but they I actually. Mean, I, tra- I, I, I I stand that kid because I used to, <laughs> I used to get fucking like leathered off the teachers in junior school for like fucking singing the hymns badly. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's it's kind of similar to that in a way. Yeah, just sort of like deliberately singing the hymn badly. I don't yeah. think the kid did it on purpose. I think he was just shit. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? I don't sing the azan profession. I'm not a muezzin. I don't do that. But. He, uh, but the Ezan was actually translated into Turkish, which, and I actually have found an audio recording of the Ezan in Turkish, because obviously I've heard it in Arabic like a million times. I've been to Turkey so much, right? Yeah. And so I, I heard it in Turkish, and I'm like, this is fucking insane. It's, it, 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 <laughs> like, it literally hurt my brain, because they didn't even, so like, they don't even call God Allah in it, right? Like, it, right. It, Fine. Like they call it Tanra, which is the Turkish word for God. So Makes like, because it's like a logic that you know, like God is great. So it's like Tanra Ludo, you know. Like I'm like, what the fuck is going on? They, re- it, it's, it's, it's quite literally like hurts my brain to hear it like that. So they decided, okay, well enough of this nonsense. We're changing it back to Arabic because fucking Christ, man, does it sound stupid? And if if they'd left it at that for like major government reforms, I more or less would have been like, you know what, fair enough. Don't really understand what the big deal is. Yeah. Turns out they didn't leave it at that. Obviously, we talked about the Turkish Brigade. Did, in the they, uh, war, but... did they then go on to translate it into Dutch? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Whispering the Dutch Shahada into the ears of babies <laughs> to make them <laughs> schwarz pate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck Oh, no. I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep that joke in, but I'm definitely going to try. <laughs> Sorry, if, you, if, you, if Rob survives his, his jaunt into the fucking woods, he'll give you the Dutch pass. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I already have on my stream a Dutch text-to-speech now, uh, which is fucking incredible. It's, Jesus wept. It makes everything sound like an Afrikaans slur. <laughs> like, it's really bad. Um, anyway, it's... <laughs> I can't fucking cope already. Right. <laughs> So we obviously, we talked about the Turkish Brigade going off to the Korean War. That's the whole thing about Turkey joining NATO. That's, uh, that's something we'll come to in a, in a few years of this. We're kind of going to power through the years here. Because yeah. I want to get us tonight to the next election and just sort of think about what the fuck happened. So in 1951, uh, Turkish soldiers finally arrived in Korea. Great. So there's this institution I didn't talk about being founded when we were doing our sort of early Republican sort of really interesting and important foundations they, uh, they made. And there's this one called Halk Evleri, which means like, um, which is like Halk Evi, which means like people's houses, right? Right. Uh, or community, it's literally community centers, right? And it's basically, they're these, it's this institution that's founded in 1932. And 
that Jamie, do you remember when we talked about the Turkish halves? Maybe. Uh, the Turkish halves are those like nationalist NGOs that formed that tried to like, you know, really like build the political sort of, just sort of try to like create a Turkish nationalist sentiment yeah. in a country where like everyone was Ottoman, right? Yeah, I remember. I yeah. I mean, it still exists. Like, the organization still exists, but they used to be much more of a sort of... They served the function of the Hulk, you know, like, there would be places where people would meet up and, you know, you would, uh, you would learn about stuff. And, and, you know, the Turkish halves were ostensibly partially a project to sort of improve literacy rates. Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that. The Hulk Evlery kind of was an official state version of this that was trying to basically tr- sort of by providing a place for people to go and spend time. Because, you know, like, it's kind of like how here, you know how, like, we, you, you know, people are like, oh, why are these kids loitering everywhere? Yeah. And it's like, well, because they've got fuck all to do and fuck all to go to. And that kind of extends to, like, adults as well. Like, because, like, look, if you're an adult in Britain, where are you going? You're going to go to a fucking pub. Yeah. You go to the pub, or if you're in Nottingham, you go to a board game cafe. That's, like, the two places you go. That's it. I mean, you can go to a restaurant, but, like, who the fuck can afford that shit in the year of our Lord 2022? Yeah, Rob, probably. (laughs) Fucking Rob. Rob very much like the class enemy on the podcast front. Yeah. (laughs) We're gonna have to start a revolution against Rob. But... Rob and Trash Future. Yeah, Rob and TF, then. We're coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) But the... Halkevlery is sort of like a specific uh, thing for cities, right? So these are branches that are set up in big cities. And the idea was to basically provide this place for people to go. So the idea was, we need to decrease the influence of what I'm going to just sort of cack-handedly call the Sunni ulema, which is just a term for clergy. But they don't really have a formalized clergy in Islam. It's complicated. Things happen, all right? But it's what, it's what the video game... Victoria Free might call the Sunni Ulema. And the thing about like religious schools and stuff like that is, yeah, great, you get access to like books and you can learn to read and it's all this shit. But also you are being taught by a priest. Yeah. And the priest does have opinions. Like I know he's like, I'm only spreading the word of God, but the priest does have opinions. And if you're a nationalist project, my guess is those priests' opinions may not especially if you're a secular nationalist project. My guess is the priest's opinion may not align with what you want people to know. Yeah. And so, like, Hulk and Larry were great. You know, you could get free courses on literature and arts and, you know, oratory and writing. And, you know, you could learn how to weave baskets and shit like that. Sounds great, right? And they even had, like, small versions of these that would go out into villages as well. And they had, like, 17 major branches in the big cities. So, you know, Istanbul, Ankara, Izmir, all that lot. You know, the, the famous big cities. And then eventually that number would go up to 478. And then there were these small village ones that were, like, there were 4,000 of them. So this is a big institution, like a cultural institution. There's even still a organization that has the name of this institution, even though, as we're going to find out, they were, uh, they were closed. Uh, they were closed. And you might be thinking, well, doesn't this sounds like a lovely, fantastic project, civic project, even if, let's be honest, there's an underlying ideology of it going on. You know, there is. Yeah. And they, they shut it down. And it's like, well, why would, you, why would you shut down such a nice project? 
And it turns out it's because the organization is considered to be a organ of the Republican People's Party. Right. Which and is obviously you don't want that if you're the Democrat Party. Well, yeah, you don't. Well, because well, what if the Republican People Party comes to power again, and then they well, if, what are they going to close down your institutions? Then you got to get them first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even though they let you win the election, essentially. But okay, <laughs> okay. But the organization kind of persists in a way. I get is is my reading of it because there are like lots of sources about this, and the Republican People's Party kind of because it's a wealthy organization Ataturk's like money went to the party and Ataturk was very rich by the end of it in a yeah. shocking twist and so they kind of keep some of the people's houses open because they're like it's kind of like you know community organized what the community organizing stuff for labor would have been like you know you're, you're providing <laughs> the service because the government refuses to do it you know like government refuses to feed people well why don't we just feed people yeah fucking makes sense to me but apparently that was too too radical an idea for a certain ham man. <laughs> yeah, and also, well... also his tomato-faced sidekick. <laughs> what? He looks that. like a... Fu- Fuck looks like that a f- guy especially. Yeah, that guy looks like a fucking tomato anyway. Yeah. He, he looks like a fucking nuclear reactor gone wrong. Is what he looks like. He looks like... Um, do you remember that fucking cartoon, The Raccoons? Yes. He looks like... Was it Cyril Sneer? <laughs> it looks like Cyril Sneer fell asleep on the beach. Oh my god. Uh, I, I, uh, god stupid prick he is. Anyway, um, but yeah, they closed this nice institution down. And part of it, I'm trying to speculate on reasoning. So, like, part of it is, yeah, okay, I get it. It's probably an organ of the of the opposition party. It, it being state funded is a bit. It's a bit weird to pump state money into an organization you think is political in nature and opposed to you. Yeah. So I kind of get it. I get it to an extent. But also, let, let's be honest, the, the Democrat Party wants to do free markets, wants to do capitalism. And, you know, having a space for people that's not monetized directly, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's like the UK. You can't go anywhere without paying for something. It's by, a, it's de- a, by design, because by like, design, exactly. Like, because imagine, poor people imagine, have to fuck off. Yeah, imagine if we had something like this in the UK. How quickly that shit would have been privatized by even a Labour government. Yeah, like imagine fucking Attlee's government inheriting this shit from the Republican People's Party. They'd have fucking closed it too, because they got to spend the money on killing people in Malaysia. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you let people if you let people like have communities and socialize like across class boundaries and that, then they feel like you know what I mean. Then the middle classes feel bad when you decide that the poor have to be like set on fire for fuel because they yeah. know some of the people who are going to be set on fire. Whereas if like they don't know them because they can't afford to go to like coffee mornings or like you know daycare or whatever, well then it, you you just think well yeah they've set all those people on fire but they were probably benefit scroungers. Yeah, and and that is, by the way, part of the reason why this sort these sorts of institutions were encouraged is because, like you said, it's to get people to talk to sort of meet across class boundaries. Remember, yeah. the chemists they don't want necessarily class antagonism to exist, right? They want capitalism, but they want it without the class antagonism so much because they want class to be subordinated to national boundaries, right? Yeah, which. 
is not a very clever thing to suggest in the 30s. I, I, I feel like I've heard this idea before, that we should, <laughs> we should sublimate class, um, class discourse and class conflict for national identity. I feel like I've heard this idea before, and I feel like that's reflected in previous episodes of the podcast quite well by some of the things that went on. Yeah. But, on the other hand, like we sorted that out, and it's never troubled us since. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. We, we fixed that in 1945. Never heard about it since. It's all fine. But that, uh, that fucking Tom Lehrer song when he says, like, uh, but the Germans, we taught them a lesson in 1918, and they've, they've hardly bothered us since then. Yeah. So the so the main thing is that this this sort of state sponsored element of the project was was gone and that kind of sucks. And the, and they produced period, you know, they produced publications and stuff like that. Hell, you can even see this picture of Ataturk at one of these places. He he's always he's always going about seeing the country. He's he's always just on a trip somewhere being like, "Oh yes, this is very good. I like this." I need yeah. to find that picture of Ataturk looking at Greater Turkestan. <laughs> And and like cut that out and just put stuff in it. For me, but here he is. He's at one of them there. He's like, yeah, this is quite nice. It's a it's a horrible quality of picture, to be fair. It's 1937 in Turkey, but yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, people's that's house. um, that is a very like people's hair is not coming out well on that picture. No, your man I mean, looks t- like Alan Rickman in Galaxy Quest. I mean, in fairness, he was not, he did not have a strong hairline by this point. Or really, at any point, he didn't really have a particularly strong <laughs> airline, neither politically nor physically, at many points, really. But that's kind of the main 1951 thing I want to highlight. Yes, there are lots of like sort of small economic reforms going where they are. There's this in the background of this. There are economic reforms going, but I think I'll kind of sum them up once we get to the end of the parliament, right? Because it's probably kind of something we need to sort of get a feel for. So. The big 1952 news is Turkey becoming a member of NATO, which is which is fucking horrible. It's really it's really the one thing we didn't want to happen. But NATO's good. All of the centrists keep telling me that. Yeah, NATO is so good. I I, I can't I can't I can't believe that I would say something bad about NATO. Now we kind of covered the background of this. Turkey's afraid of the Soviet Union. Yeah. So they're like, well, okay, who's the opposite of the Soviet Union? Oh, it's America. Okay, cool. And so Ismet Inonu, this goes back to Ismet Inonu, where he's in 1948, he's like, hey, I'd like to join NATO, please. Can I join NATO? And the Americans were like, no, definitely not, because the Soviets will immediately declare war on us if we do that. And... The end, so there's a bit of an overlap here where Ismet Inonu's presidency and the Democrat Party government overlap, which is why they got rid of Ismet Inonu on all the money and put Ataturk on all the money, because they're like, yeah. I don't want this fucking prick's face on all the money. But I also think it was very funny that for a, that there are these banknotes, I'm pretty sure my grandparents have some of them, of like Ismet Inonu on the banknote, and they must be worth a fucking fortune, because they're the only banknotes that don't have Ataturk on them. Yeah. Like they must be like collectors' items or whatever, because they're they're nuts to me. I'll see if I can find a picture of of them because they're so weird. Yeah, here you go, here you go. I've, uh, ten Turkish lira, but with Ismet Inonu on it, which is it's also a very weird style of banknote. It looks like a provisional banknote from a country that barely exists. But there you go. Oh yeah, that it's, looks. Um, yeah, that looks like a, like something you'd find in like a. 
like mid-century Monopoly set. I know it's 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 yeah I I yeah like when you're a kid when you're a kid and you have to go and stay with your grandparents and and you, and they go like oh we've got board games and then the board games are all like just really weird archaic things that no one's ever heard of. Yeah, yeah, it's really um yeah oh hundred lira. I wonder how much that's worth now. Um, probably not very much. Ah, uh, here we go. This is this is probably a more uh yeah. This looks more like the banknotes I'm familiar with. This is a one Turkish lira note, as opposed to a ten Turkish lira note. I was going to say you can probably tell because of the number, but yeah, this looks a bit more like the the sort of Turkish lira notes I I know. But yeah, yeah, that that yeah. that looks like a, a purple dollar. Yeah, I mean, probably seems about right. That's what money looks like. I mean, looked like ours is all fucking plastic shit now. But yeah, you remember when the money were hard? Um, in fact they even have a coin with them on that's so weird i i find this so weird (laughs) you've got to sign up i've got to sign up in the post office uh when i was in the other day it reminded me that i've only got like a limited amount of time to cash in my old 50 pound notes before they like stop being legal tender and i was like i don't think i've ever seen a 50 pound note i've seen a 50 pound note exactly three times in my life twice was as as it was like behind the counter of somewhere and having to be like i don't know if this is real money mate yeah, I, yeah. Some, some guy comes into the chip shop, tries to pay for like a smoking with like a fifty pound note, and it's like, yeah, that that seems legit. Yeah, like it's one of those things where in a lot of places you do have to ask like your manager and be like, look, I came and tried to pay with a fifty pound note. Am I okay to take this? Yeah. I don't know what to do with it. It's like, well, how you know who has a fifty pound note? My dad, like, I I saw my dad with a fifty pound note once, and he he sort of gave it to me. When I was like 14, I was like, what the fuck am I meant to do with this? Then no one takes these. No one takes these, Dad. Come on. <laughs> I was like, I'm not being ungrateful, but like, I don't know what to do with this. You know? I just realized yeah. I made it sound like my dad's a drug dealer or something. <laughs> but like, he's not, I swear. But he's like, a counterfeiter. Yeah, that's it. Um, that's much more right. legal and fine. Remember when like, they had to, like, loads of places, like, literally like wouldn't take 50 pound notes because there were so many counterfeits in circulation oh, yeah. because yeah, nobody because... knew what they actually looked like yeah because who's <laughs> seen a 50 pound yeah. note genuinely who's seen a 50 pound <laughs> note like you know i i've never yeah anyway in, so in, in, a, back... in a few short years you'll be able to pull that same scam with fivers yeah <laughs> yeah but they're polymer notes now it's a bit harder to pull it off with a polymer <laughs> note i think but maybe alas we'll find out i think We'll find out shortly. Uh, also, I pay for everything with contactless these days. So, anyway, initially, the US is like, we don't want Turkey to join. And, uh, yeah. But after a while, when Turkey joined the Korean War, they were like, maybe these guys who are willing to kill communists, maybe they're onto something. Maybe there's something about them. And they invite Turkey and Greece to sort of join at the same time, basically. And,. They basically said, okay, we don't want full membership, but we want to do like a defensive partnership. And then Jalal Bayar is like, no, we want to join, man. What if the Soviet Union attacks us? Defense agreements mean nothing. You're useless shits. <laughs> like, our general over there in Korea said the only good bit of your military was the medical corps. Like, what, what, come on. What are you going to do? Give us first aid yeah, well, as the every, Soviets every, nuke Istanbul. Everyone loves MASH. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, in May 1951, they offered Turkey full membership because America was like, wait a minute, Turkey borders the Soviet Union and it borders it on the mountains. 
And I'm like, like, that would fucking matter anyway, in reality, <laughs> because if that had ever come to pass, like, everyone would have been nuked into oblivion anyway. Yeah. But, but they signed a document but maybe in the mountains would contain some of the fallout. Yeah, maybe. They signed a document in 1952 joining, and so Turkey's fate was effectively sealed at that point. But the main thing is, they got themselves, the NATO lot got themselves a lovely airbase called Injilik, which is a airbase in the southeast of Turkey. It's in Adana. And America actually really wanted to use this during the Iraq war, but then Turkey didn't join the Iraq war, and were like, they were like, well, fuck. What airbase yeah. are we going to use now? But it's, it's an important airbase now. It was being built by U.S. military contractors. So U.S. military contractors are, bi- are, are, are building it, you know, were building it in 1951 before Turkey had even properly joined NATO. They were laying that groundwork. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's the American go-getter spirit. Yeah, and also now it has 50 nuclear weapons in it, so I'm sure that's fine. Yeah, hopefully it's better than that, that fucking airbase with all the nukes on the, on the glacier in Greenland, the one that, like, Oh, the the one that was a climate uh, a the climate research outpost, but it turned out to have nuclear weapons in it. Yeah, yeah, and where they just buried the waste under the glacier, and then like twenty years later, everyone was like, you know, glaciers are moving, right? And so it's just smearing <laughs> like nuclear waste down the fucking mountainside as it as it melts. Yeah, they did not know that. Oh, you'd think would if it was a science base, someone would have been like, you know, we should probably deal with this a different way. But no, no, they never think yeah. of this. I think that was in one of the like Adam Curtis things. The, the, it was in the last one, wasn't it? This this base in um, Greenland. Because it was like there. That's where they. Because that's where they discovered that atmospheric CO two changed occasionally. And I'm like, yes, good. I'm glad that we. That's where they discovered it. Also, they didn't discover <laughs> it there. But I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. Not... The last the last one of his I saw was Bitter Lake. I think. Hmm. Yeah, I think I had to watch it for one of the one of the many podcasts on the left, and I I watched it, and I was like, he basically gave himself libra. There was a guy in it who basically <laughs> basically horseshoe theoried himself. Oh, you love to see he, it. He was so stunned by the collapse of the Soviet Union that he gave he basically horseshoe theoried himself and started national Bolshevism. Anyway, that's not the <laughs> that's not the fucking topic of the podcast, but I feel no. like that's just. Kind of an who, interesting. Who knew? Who knew that Ben was the linchpin that kept us on topic? Yeah, who? Yeah, Ben's just sort of Ben. If you're listening to this, we want you back. Also, hopefully, you're on the stream on Thursday. Um, yeah, be exciting because we didn't bring his spider people into the game. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna have to play some random ass society. He can play. He can play the one that's like fucking just kick the shit out of me. Yeah. Well, you got, yeah, you got screwed in that game. I'm having a great time as the Empire of Albion, spreading the sponger form across the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, one, one, day, one day the British will get to do that for real. Oh, well, they've already done it, haven't they? Really? What was that whole British Empire about, if not spreading BSE? Yeah. <laughs> that's, assuming, that's assuming that, like, centrist... Like, you know, and like Marvel libs don't get the nuclear war they're so desperate for. Yeah, I'm not convinced they will, but who the fuck knows? But what, 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 like a small price to pay? Like, you know what I mean? We wipe out all life on Earth, but we stop, like, Putin from conquering the galaxy, potentially. Yeah. You know, if he finds Thor's hammer or an infinity stone or some shit, who knows <laughs> I, what could happen? I did literally do a joke about, well, what if, because people were like, well, what if Putin has this? And I'm like, well, what if he had the Iron Man suit? What then? <laughs> What then? Like, yeah. 
What are we going to do? You, what if you got what if you got really hench like Jeff Bridges and flew into space? <laughs> what if Putin forced us to reenact the plot of Daft Punk's anime film? What then? <laughs> what would we do then? <laughs> <laughs> On the on the one hand, my partner says that the film goes better with Saint Anger by Metallica. On the other, the album gave us one more time, so I feel like I'm on the right side of this argument. I don't think I've ever actually listened to that album. It's it's a good album. It, it, to, I guarantee you, you'll have heard songs from it because well, possibly, like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I'll like you will have heard at least a song from it because it, it would have been impossible to avoid at basically any point in your adult life. Um, <laughs> And also any point in my adult life, to be fair. So 1953. So there are a lot of earthquakes happening in Turkey around this time, I should say. And it's just not, it's not, not the government's fault, I don't think, that earthquakes are happening. Yeah. It's just that it is happening. So 1953 is an important year because one of the biggest monuments in Turkey, in fact, it's one of the 50 civil engineering achievements of Turkey, officially. It's a, the 50, sorry, 50 civil engineering feats in Turkey. That's an official list of like, yeah, look at how awesome we are at building shit. Now, obviously, this is since how many? How many of those are bridges that have since been I've, stolen? I was just going to say a lot of them are bridges. Um, <laughs> a lot of them are bridges. A lot of them are also hydroelectric plants. But one of them is none of that. Is, uh, it is Anutkabur, which is Ataturk's mausoleum. Because remember, the fucker gets buried in a mausoleum, yeah. and his mausoleum looks like this. Just, just it'll take a while to load because it's a huge image because it's the size of Mars. Oh yeah, I was hoping it was going to be a picture of that earthquake bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Uh, that would have been very funny, but probably would have derailed us quite a bit. Yeah. But yeah, it's fucking huge. It's a huge complex. It's, it's. Yeah, it, it's it's such a weird thing. And I don't want to get into architecture too much because it's not my field. Those um, it, those archways are far too fucking high, <laughs> quite frankly. I mean, it's it's huge. Like, there's a no-fly zone around this thing. Like, there's a legit no-fly zone around it because they're like, you know, we don't, we don't want people to do 9-11. But before 9-11, obviously. Like, Aye. Right. We don't want people to invent 9-11 on this particular thing. <laughs> we want 9-11 to happen somewhere else. Yeah. The sigh of relief the Turkish Air Force breathed when it happened in New York. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> and I mean, if it, happens, if it happened there, it would upset all of those like really tall guys from Minecraft who I presume are going in and out of those doorways regularly. <laughs> no, normal people, they're normal-sized people. If anything, they're probably quite short if they're Turkish. But there are like 800 towers and bits, and Ismail Inanu's even buried there now. He's buried there now. And there were a couple of other people buried there. Jamal Grussel, who was a, the leader of the military coup government, uh, so maybe he probably shouldn't have been buried there. And a guy called Tran MXs, who was a university student who was killed in, the, who was killed in demonstrations we will talk about later. Okay. But they were, they were removed from there because... Well, why are they buried there? Also, why is my only buried there? But you know, do they have any? Uh, do they have any absolute clangers in there that just turned up by accident? You know what I mean? Like, oh, we've got like all of these leaders and people who like sacrificed so much, and then Turkish Keith Chegwin. No, no, only two bodies. Only two bodies in there, and 
You might notice the on the picture I sent you, the the sort of the little carvings on the side in this very particular yeah. style, and that's kind of a nod to a very so. So the thing is, this style of architecture is kind of like a, a particular type that you got in Turkey from 1940, where it's all sort of columns and sort of almost sort of pseudo brutalisty kind of vibe to it, but it's yeah. not quite brutalism. But this sort of carving on the side, I'm trying to, I, I, I've tried to find the origin of it, and it apparently details. I think it details Turkish historical thesis. All right. I think it details like sun language theory and <laughs> historical pieces and stuff <laughs> like that. Because I've just looked at the images. This is not, by the way, this is just me from eyeballing it. I'm like, it looks like it's detailing sun language theory or something. It's really weird. It's it's so weird to me. It's 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 obviously like an Anatolian style of thing, yeah. or what they imagine like the Hittites were up to or something. But it's so odd to me. But I've never been to Ankara. I've never been to Ankara because, like, to be honest, I'm not fucking getting a flight from Istanbul to anywhere domestically in Turkey that's accessible by high-speed train. Uh, just not doing it. But the high-speed train didn't exist the last time I visited Turkey. So, you know. Right. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Also, I don't think I can ever visit it again after this podcast. So, <laughs> sorry. Uh, what, I like, what I like about that mausoleum is in the small version of the picture, the like stonework at the top looks like chipboard. Does it looks it looks like something out of um oh shit what's um the 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 Duke Nukem Britain sort of port <laughs> that yeah. uh, Dan Douglas Duke is making Smoochum. Duke Smoochum yeah there you go I forgot the name of it sorry Dan um <laughs> I I do love it I just didn't remember the name yeah. there it looks like it could be put in a Turkish version of that I guess <laughs> like. That is, you know, that is without without a doubt the greatest cultural like achievement of like British history. Oh, absolutely, absolutely! Like I've never seen a more complete illustration of Britain. Yeah, ever. Undercover is built, but here's the interesting thing about Undercover being built. So they bury Ataturk in the uh, in the mausoleum. Fine, okay. His body was meant to go there. I think it. I think it's a bit leader worshipy. And we'll probably talk about that in the bonus because the bonus is going to be on just some disparate thoughts on the cult of personality of Mustafa Kemal because it's a very weird thing when you think about it. Yeah. But anyway, he's buried there, whatever. But then a month or so later, they confiscate all of the property and furniture of the Republican People's Party. And they're very specific about confiscating the furniture. And I honestly have yeah, no... The, an- the Antiques Roadshow coming through town? What was that about? Yeah, so the the thing is that, like, I'm not... The thing is, the government basically has has had, a, had, an, it's had an incident, basically. Because Turkey doesn't have things, you know, like TVs and shit like that, right? right. It doesn't have things. And the, the problem is, when you're a country that's trying to do free markets, and you know, you're not doing the statism the bastard Republican People's Party tried to do, and so you're kind of trying to take your hand off the tiller and let the economy go where it wants. The thing that happens is that like, people want to have tractors and shit like that, but you don't make tractors and shit like that, because you're not directing people to make them. People are making whatever makes them the most money. Yeah. Which 
fine. That's how that's meant to work. I get, I do understand the concept of supply and demand, but also it means because there isn't a base of like, you know, skilled manufacturers or technical people, or they just didn't exist. The, the, the level of education required just didn't, hadn't happened at that point, which is why you would have to plan and just sort of have a big bit of government backing because it's not going to work every time. Yeah. You know, people need to look if you can't if you can't teach people how to do these things through like theory, you have to let them try. Which I suppose is kind of what Mao did with the with the steel foundries in people's backyards, and that didn't work very well. But like, you get the idea. Like, you have to people have to build develop these skills. An economy needs to have people who have the skills so that things can happen. Yeah, but Turkey didn't have those people. You've got to at least make the effort. Yeah, like Turkey didn't have these people. And so when you just take your hand off the tiller and go, all right, so just, you know, capitalism, go. And it turns out the thing that is really popular in Turkey is uh, wheat. Great. People need wheat. People love eating bread. Great. Fantastic. Uh, Tobacco. Okay, so it's not really something that's like going to lead to any like technical manufactured goods, but okay, fine. Tobacco. Tea. People People love sandwiches and cigarettes. Yeah, they also love tea, which is yeah. another major product of Turkey that, like, is a ma- big export of it. But they don't really, like, make steel foundries <laughs> and yeah. stuff like that. And they don't make engines, and they don't make all this other stuff. And so you have to import it. And the thing with importing is, as Britain is finding out, is it costs money. <laughs> like, yeah. it takes money out of your economy. It's yeah, not even did, that, when like... Did that, when did that come in? Yeah, well... Um, you'll be surprised probably around the time of the Hittites to be honest mate in this particular place those fuckers yeah the Hittites probably well I mean Egypt maybe but I I do love how Egypt had to have an intensive trade relationship with Cornwall in the Bronze (laughs) Age because they didn't have any fucking tin so so Egypt would have to go to the mysterious land of tin land and it would yeah. turn out to be fucking Cornwall. Imagine the disappointment you show up. And it's the fucking Beaker people there. Or whoever the fuck was living <laughs> in Britain at that point. And I mean, it's thank- just fucking... Thankfully not the British, so... It's, yeah, well, it's just tin mining Baz there being like... Yeah. Just... <laughs> North FC. Demand, South... demand to know what colour the passports were before they let anyone off the boats. <laughs> it's just this, it, this golden ankh. The guy's waving around. And they're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, just get incredibly angry at the idea of a foreign person having money and then kill the Egyptians. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, it's sort of a sidetrack there, but <laughs> I just lost my mind at like South FC <laughs> Tin Miner. <laughs> I don't know, it must have been Tin Miners until quite recently around there. I, I don't know, but maybe that's something to ask Geds. Geds is from Tinland. I'll ask him. But they, yeah. they took all the furniture and most of the assets of the party. Now, the thing is that they're having this because... So they took all these assets because they're having these economic difficulties because money is getting sucked out of Turkey's economy. And there's this interesting observation that's made, which is that the, which is that the standard of living, if you ask people who sort of observed this at the time, they'll go, oh yeah, well, Turkish people had a lot of nicer things than they did before. You know, like the Democrat Party succeeded in a sense because you know people had some things you know a lot of tea and tobacco i suppose worth bearing in mind state-owned companies so i'm not saying anything i'm just 
pointing it out. But the thing is that, like, the sort of the orthodox economic view on it, not the not the view of this podcast, to be clear, is that basically the Democrat Party, by sort of creating the conditions for such a large amount of importing, fundamentally ruined the Turkish economy and set it up to fail for probably the next 40 years. Because it just became an importer economy for a while. It exported, like, tobacco and all this shit, but it, it relied on sort of foreign imports in the worst possible way. So this crackdown is coming from economic difficulty, right? They're running into trouble, and the opposition are pointing it out, which, yeah. you know, they mustn't do. They mustn't do. And part of this is kind of... Part of this discussion of, like, the first actually democratic government Turkey elected it's to kind of think about, like, well, what's the fucking point in having parties and shit like that? Because in the UK, like, what usually happens is uh, a bunch of, like, right-wing lunatics come to power. They, they have their revolution backed by the press. Things stop working because, get this, right-wing policies don't work ever under any circumstances. It's true. And then a bunch of really piss-weak middle managers in the opposition get to have a go. And they kind of come and they try and fix it. And, you know, they sort of, maybe sometimes we get to, like, have gay people get to exist in public. Sometimes we get to, you know, not be as racist, although under the Labour Party, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Some, so, you know, sometimes we make small concessions on the social side, but economically, we just try and make the shite fest the Tories made kind of livable. And then people get angry at the Labour Party for making it livable. Because it turns out it's fucking shit and everyone hates it. And then they elect the fucking Tory party who come and ruin everything. And then we, we go again, basically. Yeah, well, you've got to lock in those gains. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you've got to lock in them Tory gains. This is why I just don't fucking buy this lesser evil bullshit. But that's a, not the topic. But the idea was like, so what's the pattern in Turkey? Is there a pattern in Turkey? And if you believe some people, the pattern is... Uh, centre-right party that has religious elements comes to power, they go mental with power, the military coups them, and then we have, like, a chaotic democratic period, and then the military coups that, and then they coup it again. It really does... So, like, I'm trying to figure out if there's a pattern here. Yeah. And I don't think there is so much as just, like, increasing use of particular ideas to justify doing what you want. So here's an example. So the Republican people's party they had a party newspaper right mm -hmm. eh, you know whatever it's normal so they seized the party's uh printing press so now the opposition can't publish anything and then in 1954 i don't know if this is before or after the election but it's important because it's this first well it's one of the first it's one of the first times that a party that's not explicitly the republican people's party or Kemalist through and through does this. In 1954, the National Party, you might be familiar with them as the predecessor to that very fascist party that's coming later, uh, they dissolve them because they're opposed to Kemalist principles. Which is fucking nuts, right? Yeah. So, so this party who are ostensibly opposed to Kemalist principles, you can then ban other parties who have basically the same politics as you. Uh, great. But they, but you, you know, need, you know, you don't need that, that sort of competition's not healthy for the marketplace of ideas. That's right, and also don't worry because they reform as the Republican Peasants Nation Nation Party, a very cool party, very cool and normal party. To be fair, you know, sorry, they didn't do that yet. They they reformed as the Republican Nations Party. 
God, all oh. these names are really fucking complicated, aren't they? Yeah, once you have, like, nation in the name of something, it's... Uh... It's a switch-off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not interested. I so... say that. I, I bank with Nationwide. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose, yeah, technically, if you look at my bank's full name, it has, like, national in it. So, anyway. <laughs> Enough about my... Now to tell you my bank card numbers. And... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... The, the thing, so we, so we have this sort of increase in authoritarianism. I should say in 1953, there is also this friendship pact signed with Greece and Yugoslavia, our boy Tito making an appearance. But yeah, 1953 is a year where like a lot of this starts amping up. And in yeah. fact, they, uh, in 1954, they actually closed another institution that was founded in 1940 but wasn't um we sort of didn't cover because 1940 was world war ii stuff sorry yeah. there was a war don't you know there's a war on uh not in turkey apparently but so there's these things called village institutes uh which were basically rural schools so this is basically specifically schools that are there to train teachers for rural development projects Right. So because, like, if you're developing rural areas, like, one of the things that helps is if people can read and write and stuff like that. And the thing is, this is not, like, a, so while there's, while whenever I say, like, village institutes, people's houses, stuff like that, you have to understand there is an undercurrent of, like, ideology going on. And this idea that, like, we need to teach people the right way to do things because if we don't teach them, someone else will teach them. Yeah. Right? And... This is probably one of the less harmful ones because I don't know. Basically, they only exist for fourteen years. Really, they they increase literacy by an insane amount in these regions. Like you got to remember, the literacy in some regions of Turkey was like five percent in these villages. You know, yeah, just five percent. And they're like, well, why don't we simply build schools in these places and then pay teachers to go there? And I was like, what? <gasps> That oh sounds, my god! Sounds an awful lot like communism. Well, actually, it's interesting that you say that. So, anti-communists and anti-socialists really fucking hated this because they thought that they were basically teaching these rural children and so on to be Marxists, to to be against tradition. I will point out that Isma Inonu. There's a pretty significant case to be made that he made the country an Axis ally. Yeah. And he was, like, personal friends with Mussolini. And I get that Mussolini was socialist. All right, okay, fine. But, like, this is well after that shit, uh, that shit yeah. had sailed. That was after Mussolini went into the barber shop, explained the concept of fascism to the barber, and then said, oh, by the way, I'll have my haircut be bald. <laughs> like, this is after that. So, you know, this is not remotely the thing. People were pissed at these, particularly like large-scale landowners, um, MPs who were large-scale owners, land sorry, MPs who were large-scale landowners, you know, they loved going on about this. The press went ballistic about this. The Democrat Party even specifically had members who went and attacked these schools. I will remind you, like, yes, there's, I, there was an ideological project at play here. It just wasn't a Marxist one, and it wasn't a yeah. communist one. It wasn't anything like that. It was, uh, you know, 
people who read and are educated are more likely to be receptive to the ideas of the Republican People's Party, you know, re- with regard to secularism and so on. Because yeah. the secularism was kind of like the main, pl- became the main plank of, of Kemalism as it went on. Because, you know, the, the statism and the stuff like that, it just kind of fades as, it's not a culture war in a way, right? Like, you, you can't make, you know, whether the government does stuff into a culture war as easily as whether your kids are secretly being indoctrinated by the Village Institute to be Marxists, you know? <laughs> like, you can't, that's an easy culture war, right? But you can't make nationalizing, I don't know, the railways in a normal country, you can't make that a, a culture war. In the UK, I think we made it into nationalizing sausages, so. Yeah. You know, neither oh, here nor there. Don't remind me. My theory is not as solid as I think. But the Democrat Party basically come into power. And remember, their party members are the ones doing the attacks. I should also say that the, like, the fascist party, you know, they were also quite angry. And even Republican People's Party members were quite angry. Because remember, it's still a big party. So yeah. it still has some of these fucking clowns in it who think that Marxism is when the government does stuff. Which I, I guess I must believe now, based on the, based on the thoughts of our enemies. But they... Yeah, they end up closing these institutes, and they also close the Nation Party. Now, the Ma- Nation Party refounds itself, but you, what you're seeing here is a government who are just really, really like conceding to right-wing pressure, because of course they are. Think about who the leaders are of it. Of course they're conceding to right. What are they going to do? They're not going to, you know, there's no left-wing pressure to be found, really. If you're talking about the Republican People's Party in opposition, they had, like, 25 seats. Well, they didn't, not that few, but, like, they didn't as well have had 25 seats. I think they might have literally had 69 seats as well. Nice. Which, yeah, nice, but, you know. Oh, yeah, it was 69 seats, I've just checked. But you're seeing this party going out of its way to... Do like if you if you think about what I've described, you know I've described like places where people get to meet up and learn about arts and culture and all this shit. Yes, ideological projects. I have to keep pointing this out because people will be like, "You didn't mention it's an ideological project." I know it is. <laughs> like I'm telling you, it is. I know it is. Shut the fuck up. Basically, don't make me do the Corey Taylor thing of shut the fuck up and listen to what we give you. Like yeah. it's what I'm. I'm just warning you now because I'm. I'm a lot less polite than Corey Taylor about these sorts of things. So just beware. But they. But you know what it looks like is cultural vandalism to me. It's it's a lot like what the fuck is going on in the UK all the time. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out like what is it that it's what the pattern generally, is. Generally, generally best not to think about what's going on in the UK all the time. Yeah, that's why we do this. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, yet it keeps reappearing because it's so familiar. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but the thing is, people must have assumed that the choice between the Democrat Party and the Republican People's Party mattered because turnout was like eighty nine percent in the nineteen fifty election. Like That's people pretty, must have assumed good. this, and also it was a landslide, right? So people must have assumed this was this choice mattered. And the thing is. The main distinction seems to have been that while Ismet Inonu was an autocrat, he seemed more or less invested in the project of actually doing some things that might have had long-term positive impacts, which this arguably did. But the thing is, based on what I've told you, Jamie, do you think that this party should win the next election in Turkey? 
1954. I mean, well, I think the lesser of two evils, mate. <laughs> well, they've got to win first, and then they can do things after. You can't, you can't like fucking change the world from opposition. Well, I mean, Isma Inonu's about to learn that, but about to learn that again. So in 1954, right, Jamie? If I asked you to guess, uh, uh, let's go, let's go for seats. Let's go for seat numbers, right, Jamie? Right. If I, so the Democrat Party started off with 416 seats. It, um, the Parliament is going to be expanded to 541, by the way. Okay. So we're getting an extra 70 seats. So they're on two. They're on 416. The Republican People's Party is on 69. How many? How many seats do you reckon, based on what I've told you, each of these parties are going to get? Is it? Is it an even split? Uh, no. Uh, it's not quite an even split. You you were close. Hold on. Let me show you the Parliament real quick that we that they got out of this. It was close. You were really really like pretty close actually. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it got worse. It got worse in the Republican People's Party. Because, so I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what the exact seat numbers are. 503 Democrat Party seats out of 541. That's this is basically lot. That's basically the Keir Starmer polls currently, but like actually <laughs> happened. If it actually fucking happened. Yeah, and survived, from survived contact with the air. Yeah. Republican People's Party, 31%. Oh, sorry, not 31%, but they did get 35%. 31 seats. So they got 31 seats, the Republican People's Party. And then there's a new Republican, Republican Nation Party with five seats. Real strong force in the parliament. I mean, proportionally compared to the Republican People's Party, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, basically it was 58 to 35 in the election. They gained, they gained votes. And part of this is because, well... Any other Republican People's Party would be 20 points ahead. Yeah, they've actually never been 20 points ahead ever in their history. Well, <laughs> like, they've, they've, they've won... The Republican People's Party have won, I think, exactly two elections ever. Like, I'm not even kidding, that might be it. Oh, maybe there were, there were a lot of snap elections in the 70s and 60s, so maybe they've won, like, four. But, like... I, I don't. They've they've never come first. They formed a lot of governments, but not by coming first. Yeah. Which I suppose is fair enough if you can count to the majority line. Who gives a fuck? You know, you you win fair and square. But here's an interesting thing, Jamie. I'm going to show you a map of how uh, Turkey voted, just sort of by province. And you're going to think, why the fuck am I showing you this, right? Like, because it's it's so obvious what the map's going to look like, right? Like, yeah, yeah it's going to look like that, right? Okay. So do you see that little? Uh, orangey yellow province, the Lib Dem province. Yeah. You see the Lib Dem province, even though it's the national party, but let's pretend it's the Liberal Democrats winning here. What do you think? So, based on what the Democrat party, so I'm going to explain the system. Basically, it's a winner take all system in multi member constituencies. So, the party that gets the most votes overall, they take all the seats, which is why you get this obscene result, right? Right. Even though it's fifty-eight thirty-five, I mean to be fair, I feel like under most systems that would probably result in something like this. But anyway, it's not important. So, what do you reckon the Democrat Party, based on what I've told you so far, what do you reckon they're gonna do about this Lib Dem province here? Uh, it's gonna be either nothing, mm-hmm. or they have it raised and like build a fucking sure start center on top of it. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's they abolished the electoral district because <laughs> they didn't win it. So I think that's a pretty good note to end on. 
um, abol- abolishing a district because you didn't win it. And bear in mind, that's not. Bear in mind, this party just won a landslide. You have nothing to fucking worry about. And despite the sort of looming export import issue, yeah. Doing quite well, actually, on the economy front. It's not looking that bad. People's lives are getting better. And I think that is reflected somewhat in this result. Admittedly, it's kind of an unfair electoral system, but them's the rules of the game so republican people party picked those rules so <laughs> oh no my petard i hope i'm not hoisted by it yeah um nonetheless that's what's happened so i think that's a good place to leave it on because we're going to be talking about the very very serious mid-decade event next yeah. because it will be 1955 and things are happening in istanbul and elsewhere bad things so we will be donning our most serious faces for that we actually will by the way i'm not just messing around with that but before we get serious we're going to be heading on over to the bonus episode where i'm going to try and figure out what the what the deal is with the utter cult of personality because we've got unit cover now we've got the giant mausoleum for the guy yeah so like what is the deal with that i i i, I assume I assume he was just a really cool dude, like he was the Billy Zane of his day. Yeah, I mean, maybe he is. We'll find out. Uh, if you want to find out, head to the Patreon. That's where, yes. that's where you can learn that. Otherwise, everyone, we're going to peace out from here and go record that. Take it easy, everyone. See ya. See ya.